So Lord, we just want to come today and we want to gather around your word and we want you to deposit things in our word that really change us and help us build us up and instruct us and change things, Lord, that have been there for a while that we can see a real difference. So God, would you do a work in us? Lord, we made it to church today. And so, Lord, by being here, we want you to really minister to us. Amen. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Kevin, Kevin for his worship leading today. It's awesome. And uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about harvest conditions, creating harvest conditions in your life. Do you know that God wants to produce a harvest in your life? That, that God wants your life to be fruitful and productive. Now, by now, uh, I really think that the picture should be appropriate for the weather. So, I'm really sorry about that. I thought we'd start getting into harvest in springtime. Now, I'm going to use a uh, very well-known parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan, which is in Luke chapter 10. And I have a look at verse 25 and read along with me. Now, because you know this so well, I want you to look at it with fresh eyes. So if you'd all turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And I just want to welcome everybody who's watching online. And uh, Nick, just turn the camera around so that everybody can give everybody who watch online a, a wave. Okay? Smile at the people. Okay, great. So we welcome you as well. So, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Didn't have uh, pure motives particularly. And he asked him, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? It's a very important question. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered. Now I want you to notice this is the teacher of the law answering. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed over on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, but he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
And I will, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus said, why don't you go and do likewise? I don't know about you, but have you ever been right, but you're not right? Have you ever been exactly right, but you're not right, really? In other words, you've said all the right things, but in your heart, you've not really been right. Because that's what we have here. This is the first time that, the, that in, in the scripture there is recorded that anybody puts the love of the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind with love your neighbour as yourself together. This is a teacher of the law saying the right answer. And in fact, Jesus uses this answer later on when he's asked by other teachers of the law, what's the greatest commandment? And uh, Jesus actually uses this answer that this teacher of the law says. And this is the best summary. In fact, Jesus says it's how all the prophets and the, the law and the prophets, thats uh, it all hangs on this statement. And this teacher of the law says it. Go to the top of the class. Correct. Right. You did it right. You've said it right. Completely right. But Jesus, as he often does, wants to drill down underneath the surface of what we say. And so the man says, well, who, who is my neighbor? Now he's expecting Jesus to say who he has been associating with anyway, so that he can say, oh yes, I've done that. I've done that. But Jesus surprises everybody by using this example of a Samaritan traveling down to Jerusalem. Isn't it just like the Lord to want to say, can I get under the surface of your answer? Can I get under the surface of how correct you are? Can I go past the obvious and the shallow and the correctness and I want to dig down underneath. And that's what he does all the time with us. It's this getting under the surface and being complete that we need to understand. We need to understand that, that Jesus wants to dig into our lives almost like soil, break it up and kind of say, let me make you more productive. Now, now God has a, a way of getting productivity out of your life, spiritual growth from your life. He has a way of doing it, and it's this process of creating a harvest. First of all, what he does is he plants something in you. He, he embeds it in you. He pushes it way below the surface. And what your responsibility is to water it, to feed it, to nurture it, so that it takes root. Now, I wonder what has taken root in your life. We often talk about roots as unhealthy things. And those things can, there are, can be unhealthy roots in our lives. And God, with you, has to dig them up and you have to uproot them. 
But I just wonder whether you've allowed some healthy things to take root and you're watering it. And as you water it, as you invest in it, then it begins to grow and become stronger. So it's planted, then rooted, then nourished, and it grows, becomes stronger, then it bears fruit. Jesus said in another place, by their fruit you can know them. You can know what people are like by the fruit that's coming out. You know what somebody's heart's like by what comes out of their mouth. And this whole principle of harvest is this. I don't want you to do this, but almost say it with me under your breath. Planted. Rooted. Growing. Fruitfulness. And then there's a pruning where God gets even more growth. He, he chops some things away so that you can be more fruitful. So I wonder what, what God's planting in you. I wonder what he's rooting in you. I wonder what's growing in you. I wonder where, whether you're creating the right conditions for harvest. Today, I'm going to teach five quick lessons of how to have a harvest. But if you've got a Bible with you, the, the Old Testament and, well, throughout Scripture talks about a harvest of righteousness in us. And in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. Some of us who read the, read the King James Version will be saying, Break up your fallow ground. Break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. There's got to be some digging around in our lives in order for a harvest to come. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says this, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase the store of your seed. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God's going to plant some things in you so you can be more generous. In fact, it goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Did you know God is trying to get a harvest out of you? Church, somebody talk to me. God's trying to get a harvest out of you. Amen? He's trying to invest and plant and put things in you so you can bless others, bless Him, and begin to be a productive person. But you've got to allow that hard work to go on. In fact, that's what the Samaritan's doing. He's saying, God's given me some things. I can see a situation. Let me be the harvest answer for this person. You know, Hebrews 12 verse 11 says that uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. How many of you get up early in the morning to do exercise and you think, oh. But once you get up and you get going and you start breathing and you start moving, then you think, yeah, this is 
This is this discipline's training me, or is it only me? Say no, Pastor. We're we're such a fit, healthy church. Okay, I'm feeling really lonely up here. And the only one who said amen was an old age pensioner. James said, the book of James chapter 3 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Look, throughout the whole of the scripture, there's this sense of God is trying to produce a harvest in you and from you, through you and for you. He's trying to produce this righteousness. Let me define it. The harvest of righteousness in you is a visible, fruitful life that has internal healthy attitudes and external good practices. A harvest of righteousness has this internal healthiness and this external good practices. And if you get the inside and the outside marrying up and matching up, you won't be like the teacher of the law who could say the right thing. Give a brilliant answer. Give an answer that even Jesus said, I'm stealing that. But it wasn't right. Because the inside produces the consistent thing from the outside. The whole of life comes down to when we attend to internal attitudes and we steward our lives practically. And this is how we begin to get a harvest. Some of us in this room, we've got fantastic attitudes and good intentions, but our behaviours and our practices haven't caught up with the inside yet. Some of us have got some good routines and we've got some good ways of being. But, but Jesus actually said, and this is not you in this room, but Jesus said, if you just only have good practices, you're like a whitewashed tomb. And in other words, it becomes soulless, it becomes dry. It becomes something that you just do instead of flowing in this generosity of harvest that God wants to flow through your life. When we steward our lives practically and when we watch our internal mechanisms and attitudes of heart, when we respond then, we can respond then to what God is calling us to do. Oh, the pain. The pain of a pastor. Can I tell you about my life for a minute? And Please don't say, oh, but one of the most painful things is when people come to me and they want to serve God. They want to do some things for God. But, but they're, just, they're just hemmed in by other things. You see, what you've got to begin to do is say, I'm going to make it both internally and externally that I can serve God whenever He wants me to serve Him. You see, we need some hard work. Can you hear an amen, church? We need some hard work. And we need some habit work. And sometimes habits take a while to form, things take a while to change, 
Perhaps we need to change some of the ways we run our finances or, or time or prayer life or whatever. We need to build some habits into our lives, but it needs to come out of some hard work as well. And the two needs to marry up. Do you see where I'm going with this? So I'd like to just share just five ideas about how to create the conditions of a harvest. And they're going to be uh, internal and external things. So are, you, are you with me? Are you ready? Let's notice some things about this parable that it teaches about how the Samaritan could be so effective. Number one, first of all, if when God wants to bring a harvest into your life, he always presents you an opportunity that you have to respond to. God will always place little opportunities in front of you. Here we have three people who saw the same situation. Three people see the same situation. They were all traveling away from Jerusalem. I don't know. The priest and the Levite had work in Jerusalem to do. They served in the temple or they were taking the offering to the central uh, temple from their town that they worked in. But it seems to me they had done their work and they were on their way back home. And it's really interesting to me that we can often hear even some more mature Christians who say, I've done my bit and I'm on my way back home. And God puts opportunities in front of them and they miss it. You see, when God wants to bring a harvest in your life, He always drops a serving or a compassionate opportunity in your life. We can miss those opportunities when we think we've done our bit. So first condition of harvest, look for the God opportunities and respond to them. Even the small ones. There may be somebody at work. Maybe somebody around you. Maybe somebody in your family. And it's just an opportunity for you to stretch your own compassion and faith to them. Number two. A harvest will come to your life when you continually pray and have the attitude... What's on your heart, God? What's on your mind, God? And let that which is on God's mind move you. That you begin to say, Lord, if this is something that you've brought to my attention, I want it to move me and convict me. All three of these people saw the man lying on the side of the road. They all saw it. They all analysed it. There was only one who took pity on him. And maybe that's because there was only one who had the values that were important to God. If you want a harvest in your life, you have to keep saying, Lord, what's on your heart? What do you value? What's, what's in your life, Lord? Instead of my analysis of, of why this man shouldn't have been lying in the road, or my analysis of my time schedule, what's on your heart, God? And so we all need to begin to pray. If you want a harvest, God, what's on your heart? You remember David's prayer? 
that we read in the book of Acts. I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation. What's on your heart? The chorus that we wrote from that verse goes on. What's on your heart, God? Not, what have I got to do today? How, how is uh, my life fitting in with everything you are saying, God? But Lord, what's on your heart? Let me respond to that. So God will always place opportunities in front of you. And then your continual prayer has to be, tell me what's on your heart. And harvest will come. Things will begin to happen. Third thing. Harvest comes into your life when you have a determination to get personally involved. There are some things you can't delegate. Now, I actually want to kind of teach into some of this a bit longer. But this man, it says that the Samaritan, he bandaged up the person himself. That he poured in oil and wine. And, and we've got, had enough sermons about that symbolism. But I just want you to notice that it was he who personally did something. And I want to ask you whether or not you personally are involved with anything. Or whether you're a passenger watching. Because harvest comes when you say, I'm going to place my hands in the soil. And actually, what he did was, and this is what I want to teach you into a bit longer uh, down the road throughout the year, is I believe for BCC that we need to become more of a befriending culture. And what I mean by that is, what this man did is he, he put his arm around this, this uh, uh, poor bloke on the side of the road, and he... And he did the immediate help, but then he took him aside to an inn and stayed with him for a little bit. And as Pastor Nick pointed out to me, that he had some boundaries and said, look, I've got to go on and do my business now and I'll come back and see you. He, did, he wasn't blackmailed to make this man a, a lifelong project, but he befriended him for a, a period of time to get him through towards health. And I think that we need an army of befrienders that perhaps don't have the schedules to say to themselves, oh, I can give uh, two years to the youth work, or this or that or the other. But what I could do is I could give six weeks to help mentor that young person. You see, I think a befriending culture is the way that a church really can develop. But if you want to harvest, at some point, you are going to have to say, let me be personally involved. Your harvest will not come if you always minister from a crowd. So I want to ask you this morning, how's harvest in your life? If you're thinking, well, not, nothing much is happening, I would look to your schedule and say, who are you personally involved with? Fourthly, harvest conditions come in our lives when we learn to live in a margin. And this will take some time for us, but did you notice that the Samaritan, he's got his own donkey. 
Okay, that's not a big deal to you, is it? But he's got his own donkey. Which in the New Testament times did cost something. He had his own donkey. And I don't know whether it had go fast the stripes or anything. I don't know whether it was shiny red or anything like that. But he had his own donkey. He had his own money. He said, let me pay for this man. He had his own oil and wine. That when there was a need, he had it there with him. He had, he had his own money, but he also had time. Do you notice that the priest and the Levite hurried on into their schedule? This man stopped, used his time. So he had a donkey, he had money, he had time, and he had oil and wine. He had quite a little bit. And we know that what I'm doing now is moving from the heart motives. He had, he had the kind of thought of, well, what's on your heart, God? But he also moves from not just those heart motives, that he's got some practical structures in his life so he can actually help this person. What he'd actually done is he built a margin into his life. He wasn't consuming absolutely everything he got. He could actually say to the innkeeper, if it costs any more, save up the bill and I'll reimburse it. How much margin has this man got? He's got some margin. Now it's difficult for all of us, but I want to counsel you in your journey uh, in handling your resources, your money, your time, your possessions to build some margin into your life. Now, it takes a while and you might be at a stage of a life where it's quite difficult, but you've got to start having that as a goal. You know, there's a thing, isn't there, about our world where we like to live on the edge, as if that's really cool, danger man. I'm going to say, live in a margin. Live in a margin. Don't live on the edge. See, about the chauffeur who went for a job. And he, and he was uh, being hired by a businessman. And he said, I want you to be able to drive in uh, really dangerous places. And he said, I'll show you how I can drive. And he, and he said, you know, he went down a, a mountain pass, sliding the car around the edge. And he, and he was just really skillful and fantastic. It was like Fast and Furious trailer being played out in real life. And the guy said, have I got the job? He says, no. You just frightened me to death. <laughs> Drive in a margin. Live in a margin. Now it takes a while to do that. It does. But you know in the Bible there's a kind of, there's this principle physically about the harvest. In, in Leviticus 23 verse 22 it says, When you reap your harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor, for the foreigner residing amongst you, for I am the Lord your God. And the reason that we need to live with a margin in our lives, and I know it's difficult, but over the years you've got to plan to get there, is so that you can be a blessing to people who have no hope. And that's true about your money, but it's true about your time. Have you ever seen, 
You know, people who are very, very busy people because they're very, very important people and they very, very need to do everything for everybody else. And you need to help, help, and you can see their eyes glaze over because they're thinking of the next appointment. We've got to learn to live in margins. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, first of all, I want to just show you a heart attitude. Could you put the next slide on, please? Because here's a diagram and that, that might help you. And perhaps if you're taking notes, perhaps you could, you could um, uh, uh, draw it. But if you have a look at the way that you handle your money and your resources, the first category of people is a self-absorbed owner, where they say 100% of everything they've got, they believe that their possessions belong to them. And this is the deal, what they say. They have full authority over my stuff. Take a picture of it. Take a picture of the diagram. Take it with you. I have full authority over my stuff. Everything you have is yours, and you say, well, I earned it, I'm responsible for it, now I'm not depending on anybody, I've got, but this is the key phrase, they believe they have full authority over their stuff. Now, the second type of person is what I call, and what we call as an obligated owner. They still think that 100% of everything they have is theirs, but at the same time, they feel an obligation to give some of their money away. They, they feel like, oh, you know what, I do care about people. It's mine, but I feel obliged to help others. The third attitude is, is where many of us are, and we are like obedient owners. We, we say to ourselves, we take seriously the God's biblical call to pay our 10%, but that other 90% is mine, Lord. In fact, I've even seen children's talks where they say, God asks for one apple and all the other nine apples are yours. Yum, 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 yum. Let me eat all my apples. God, you've got your one, but I've got my nine. You can have your one, because I get the most. I get more than God. Man. And we have lots of Christians like that. They, they are obedient owners. I, I was like this. We, we usually feel good about being obedient. However, there still remains the ownership of that remaining 90%. So we hand over the 10% stuff, but the 90's mine. Get your hands off it, God. Ah, 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 ah. Now, Lord, stop. You've had your 10. Get your hands off my 90. You mean old, bad old God, you. And then we come to church, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. It's who I am. Because it's mine. <laughs> Woo! But you see another, but really where we need to move to, and what I'm trying to teach you is, if you go around these squares, you, you, you may be a number one, and, and 
nobody's ever taught you any different. And, and God bless you for being responsible. God bless you. You're not somebody who wants to live and sponge off somebody else. But you're saying, you know what? I, I earned it. I can spend it. I, I'm responsible for it. Fine. But it's not really fine. Because you'll never get to a margin where you can have a harvest of blessing. And then you might be an obligated owner where you say, it's all mine, but my conscience get, gets bricked and I, I just feel like I should give. Well, God bless you, but you'll never get to a margin. And you might be one an obedient owner where you, where you say, I obey what God says I should, but I do what I want to do with my stuff. And God's saying, you know what? Your stuff's my stuff. You see, we need to move to this last square where we say, I'm going to be a love-inspired steward. I want to be that person that, that says you believe deeply that God's created and provided all that we have. And the master uh, returns, retains full ownership of everything that we have. And that we are just managers and stewards of it. And we're delighted with what he's provided and we love him because he's flowing into us. And as a result, all of our decisions and all of our directions concerning money and our resources are in the context of seeing that God's direction about our lives and our possessions is all about Him. And if you could move there, you will be amazed what margins come into your life so you can bless others and be provided for yourself. And here we have a good Samaritan who says, I've got a margin. Now please, if you're living on the edge, the edge of time, the edge of resources, the edge of finances, don't, don't be guilt-tripped today, but try and begin to think, I want that. And it starts in the heart of saying, everything is yours, Lord. These trousers that I'm wearing, these shoes that I'm wearing, God's looking at my shoes and saying, well, I didn't pick them, but I'll let you have them. You know, you know those things, everything about it, the big, the small, everything is yours, God, it's yours. If you started off your marriage by saying, God, everything we have is yours, your marriage will be blessed. If you get your little grandchildren, my grandchild who sang happy birthday to to me on FaceTime on the bus. The whole bus cheered. It was a great moment. Rather say, oh my grandchild, she's yours. Everything I have is yours. <laughs> if you'll say that, you'll move to a margin. I, I did the thing this month where I gave some money away that I didn't fully have to give away but just felt like I wanted to be an example. And it, it, it happened. It happened where I got some money that I wasn't expecting to have. And I think God's saying, you're teaching it, you're living it, but I'm just reminding you of it. Can you hear an amen, church? You see, and that's what the Good Samaritan was. He got some extra oil, he got some extra wine. I don't know whether it was extra, but he gave it away anyway. He was living in a margin. <laughs> You did so well coming today in the snow. You did great. And, and you folks at home, you're doing great to watch. <laughs> the last thing about the Good Samaritan was something that you've done today. Did you notice that he built teams, that he worked with others, that he didn't hold all the care to himself? 
that in harvest, what he did was, is say to the innkeeper, can you look after him, I've got to go do something else. He had the relational capital to ask somebody to do something. He was pleasant enough to say, hey, can you help me help someone else? I want you to notice that the Good Samaritan is that person who could be entrusted to help, but he also said, I'm not the only one who helps here, let's do it together. And so today, there were lots of people who came and made our church work, and people did the car park, and the women worship team awesome today. You know, wasn't that awesome how they all just worked together to make something happen for all of us? So I just want to say to you, harvest will come when you work with others. It will come. Don't stay on your own. Don't think that your ministry only depends on you. Your harvest will come when you say, God, I'll take some of the opportunities that you put before me. Your harvest will come when you let move you what, what moves God. Your harvest will come when you get personally involved and you want to befriend some people. And, and that doesn't have to be forever, but it can be uh, in limited time. Your harvest will come when you learn to live in a margin. In fact, the proverb says, it's a fool that consumes everything that they have, but the wise don't gulp everything down. Your harvest will come when you have enough relational love for people to say, hey, can we work together on this? You see, the last thing I just want to say to you, and you can put the next slide up if you, if you will, is that all of us have to deal with three areas in our lives. You, you have to say to yourself, Holy Spirit, what are my spiritual motivations for purpose? Why am I living? Holy Spirit, would you give me deep purpose? And then you have to say, Lord, what are my emotional motivations for fulfillment? Lord, why do I get my kicks out of? And Lord, why, what, what makes me feel good and bad? And, and Lord, I just give those feelings to you. But also, we have to deal with some of our practical behaviors and practical habits and structure our lives. Because our thinking causes actions and our actions cause results. If we only try and put right our results, then it will be short term. But then if we only try and uh, do our actions, then it will do something, but it won't do enough. But we need to start changing the way that we think and feel within ourselves and give that to God. Hey, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back. So, would you, as you're standing to your feet, would you just close your eyes? And, and just from you, I, I'd like you to pray a, 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 a really strange prayer. I, I don't know how strange it is, but would you pray this prayer with me? And just say it to, you, to God from you. You can either say it in your heart or you can say it out loud. God, why do I do the things that I do? God, why do I feel the things that I feel? You see, the first step is for you to say that prayer. God, Deal with my heart.
And the second step is for you to talk to somebody. You see, God's trying to get a harvest out of you. He's trying to get a harvest in you. He's trying to get a harvest with you. And He's trying to get a harvest through you. And your harvest is ready. If you will listen to what Hosea tells us when he says, sow righteousness for yourselves. In other words, invest in the right thing. You'll reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up the unplowed ground in your heart. If I've said some things today where you said, well, I, I don't do that yet. Why don't you say, I, I, Lord, I'm going to try and start that. I'm going to break up that, that unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until He comes and He'll shower His righteousness on you. So, listen, just raise your hand with me, every one of you. Just, you know, I'll hold your hand down. And just pray again, and pray it out loud, and say, God, why do I do the things that I do? I'm giving you the things that I do. And again, God... Why do I feel the way that the things that I feel? I'm giving you my feelings. Holy Spirit, create a harvest in this place. Let's just worship Him.